was kind of talking to him saying we should get a podcast going and then Chris did the round table with the three and I remember after that he was like hey like how was it and I was like it's great this is why we should have a podcast and that's here we are. Oh, that's great though that, that that it came from like you and Chris like kind of throwing around the idea of it and you guys ran with it. That's awesome. I, I think it's a perfect time for it because you've got these these frameworks that are that are starting to come together and be really useful. And uh, it's something that's you're going to get a lot of traction on it, I believe, um, because so we already have. <laughs> there's specific, yeah. I mean, it's why I put the book together, right? Because this specific knowledge around like using Jamstack tools with full stack technology to build apps and. Um, there's there's a really strong need for that type of learning. So. Mike Cavalier, welcome to the show. Great, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Why don't you let us know like how what your role is, what you do, how you got involved with that, all that. So uh, I've been in technology, uh, engineering related disciplines for about twenty years at this point. Don't try and guess my age. I've been uh, writing code for a long time in uh, in different technologies. I've been working with Echobind for probably coming up on three years at this point, I was doing some consulting and jumped on a consulting project with them. And uh, I really just liked their vibe and the way they work and they're awesome people and they're awesome technologists. So uh, I'm a senior engineer with them right now. I'm also doing uh, a bit of product work over there. Uh, so I often will work on client products, projects rather, but I'm also, um, Echobind has a large interest in, in developing products, both content related and technical. I figured what better way to get started with some of that than developing some content that is technical that people can learn from. So um, that's a large amount of what I do there, largely like engineering, uh, but a little bit of product related stuff and creating content. Yeah, it's cool. We'll definitely get into some of the content that you're working on. You've got a, a book that you've got cooking called Cut into the Jam Stack. Yes. Very yes. cool title that I like. Uh, but before we start getting into that, I'd be curious to talk kind of about the tech you're working on. So I know that Echobind has done a lot of mobile in the past, but they're not mm -hmm. just doing mobile. So I'm kind of curious, are you in the mobile world, in the web world? Do you straddle both of those? I do. Um, I've been working with uh, particularly JavaScript for a really long time, like my whole career, as well as other technologies, but like that's been the one that's the most consistent in all its different forms. In the, the past maybe five or so years, just tons and tons of React, which, uh, you know, React Web and React Native, I, I work with both of them. For Echobind themselves, like we were a pretty versatile shop. So we do plenty of React Native and we've gotten a little bit of uh, uh, recognition for that because we do so much of it. But in addition to that, we, we work plenty with React on the web, uh, with the Jamstack specifically, with Next.js. And we also do general purpose JavaScript. Um, you know, this last project that I was working on, I was building microservices with Nest.js um, and type ORM. That's the great thing about JavaScript. It's like the Swiss army knife for programming. It, it, it goes everywhere. You know, those, those are also just great frameworks. Like Nest.js is an awesome framework for, for building microservices. So um, the last couple of months, that's been a lot of what I've been working on, but I echo combine React Native, React Web, Next.js, pretty much all of it. And it sounds like you predate the whole boot camp kind of kind of world. But um, did you? Yeah. Doesn't sound like you had a CS degree though. So like, what what was like? What really got you into programming in the first place? 
Well, so I actually do have a CS degree. Okay, cool. <laughs> from, awesome. from a while back. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I got into, I, I got involved in computers before that. So when I was younger, my sister's high school boyfriend um, introduced me to computers. Uh, he, he was using like a, an old, actually, really dating myself here but he uh he he gave me a, a commodore 64 back in the day <laughs> for christmas one year i did a little bit of programming on it but it was mostly for games and but navigating software and utilizing it was really interesting to me so by the time i got to college um it was a natural fit to get a cs degree but oddly enough the college i was at at the time their cs program was very heavily theory based and they weren't really using like modern programming languages and this was like like around late 90s when the dot-com boom was happening. So I, I said to myself, like, I've got to kind of grasp web technologies because there's, for one, there's a lot happening there. But for two, you see the fruits of your labor very quick. For me, that that was awesome. So I learned HTML in like a one credit course. And I started putting together like 90 style web pages, which were ugly as hell, but really interesting to see what you created very quickly. And someone else on the internet could, could consume it if it was interesting enough, which mine weren't, of course, but they were still interesting. From there, I, I taught myself HTML, JavaScript, Perl, and a little bit of CSS, which was just coming of age at the time. From there, I got into the, the freelancing world and you know started building web pages. I remember the first professional, well-known web page that I worked on was like Baywatch.com for the original Baywatch. <laughs> it was just, you know, being able to work on something that was public like that was really interesting. But anyway, fast forward into modern age, that's been a big chunk of my whole career is just building things that people could potentially see and then building the pieces under the hood that people can't necessarily see, but do some pretty amazing things too. I'm really interested to talk about React Native and to go deeper into React Native. I've done React Native development in the past and you're the first guest we've had that I would say is bigger into React Native as well. So you've got to get my, some other echo binders on the podcast. We, we do. <laughs> we do a lot we'll of React Native. To it for yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> my first question on the list would be: Have you heard of React Native Web? Actually, I'm working on a project that utilizes it right now. I just switched from like the microservice project that I was talking about to one that's built in React Native Web. So I'm not I'm not super well versed in it, but I've, I've, uh, I'm getting some exposure to it now. You understand the concepts of write once and go everywhere. I've not used it, but I've watched it with a keen eye. And I personally think it's the future and at mm. one point in the future, it's just going to become so obvious to just use something like that over React. Yeah, I, I could see it being possible. I, you know, I'm still just getting exposure to it, but in concept, that sounds great, right? Like if you have, I mean, React itself kind of promised that, right? When it when it was when it was awesome. becoming popular, and then React Native came out, that was actually what a lot of people thought. It's like, oh, I write it once, and it just works on mobile, but wasn't exactly the case because the API is very different, but the concepts still existed and they still are similar. React Native Web is, as far as I've worked with it so far, the API is exactly the same. You know, so my knowledge transfer has been really easy because I'm just writing React Native code. And then on this project that I'm working on now for client, the, the goal is to make it into a shared component library that exists on web and mobile. Definitely seems very possible with this technology, you know, because you're developing UI in exactly the same way, and it it doesn't necessarily care about how the device under the hood 
renders things, um, it's 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 doing all that work for you. Um, I liken it to kind of like how jQuery was when it first came out. Um, before jQuery, there were a lot of workarounds that you had to do in, in JavaScript with XML HTTP requests um, across browsers to say, make IE play as nicely as Firefox and the other browsers. So jQuery came along and it said, okay, we're gonna do that for you. So everybody just start doing this. That type of approach is always gonna be really popular because whenever you can do two things so that the person using the technology can do one thing, it's going to be embraced by a lot of people. So it definitely has a lot of potential. Yeah, I, I see it as the potential, not in the next year, but definitely within the next five years, where you could very much get to the point where you write React Native code that would go across web, mobile, and more native applications as well, like Mac and Windows, because Microsoft's doing a lot of work with React Native as well. I believe it's called React Native Windows and Mac OS. I think it is. But it's this point where us. all it takes is one mastermind to string it all together to the point you could write React once and potentially would work in every environment. That's the dream, right, Anthony? That is the dream. <laughs> that is the dream. Um, yeah, and the, the React Native desktop one is one we've been looking at at Echobind as well, um, which we've been uh, contemplating using on, on certain desktop projects, which we're, we might be taking on. So the promise of it is great. Uh, I'd like to see the execution of it and see how well it works out. I haven't used the React Native desktop one yet, um, but it looks great as well. When I said like JavaScript is the Swiss army knife of technology, like if React could become that, where you're just rewriting a React API on whatever operating system you want to develop on, that would be amazing for developers and for maintainers because you know companies love React Native for a lot of reasons, right? but one of which is that you don't have to develop two separate code bases for a lot of use cases. It's very cost effective to write that way. Let me see if I can I, guess Chris's, one of Chris's questions. Yeah, ask if you're using Expo. We are now, I think on some projects, We've looked at Expo over the years, and I, I mean, I before I started uh, working with EchoBind, I've definitely used it on individual projects, and it was great for bootstrapping something or for working on a, a simple project that didn't need certain things that Expo couldn't support. So internally, like we for years have relied on you know React Native and create React Native app as the default at EchoBind. Uh, but from what I'm hearing, like Expo has come such a long way now it's definitely worth taking a, a better look at um, because you, you're not so bound to their, their limitations anymore. So I haven't worked hands-on with it lately, but I know others that have, and they've said some great things about it. Yeah, the last time I used React Native, I did use Expo because I needed a lot of native modules that Expo didn't support. Mm. But also to what I understand of React Native and what's happened since I've last used it is now that's all been rebuilt to be more plug and play. Mm. It's super exciting. But the reason I bring up React Native is it's going to be the next big thing in Jamstack or FSJAM in the next year to two because everybody's already tackled the web platform, but also every single one of them is 
probably promising a React Native version as well. Mm, interesting. Yeah, we've got a lot of flag planting has already already gone on there in terms of both Redwood and Blitz have very explicitly said they want very, very nice first class mobile support, most likely through React Native already being React based. It's just kind of kind of natural. And both of them have very rudimentary proof of concept kind of things going on. I know there's someone in the Redwood community who's working on it and there's someone in the Blitz community as well who's who's working on it. So as Chris said, we're definitely going to start seeing that this year. I'll be curious to kind of see when those projects start to like reach maturity, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And if there's someone who is more of a mobile developer, then there should be a lot of interesting stuff happening in FS Jam for you coming up. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah, All right, let's get into the, let's actually to transition into the book, I would actually like to talk about an article you wrote, and this is what got you on my radar in the first place, is that you actually wrote a like, getting started blog post for Bison, and this was something that I had been really hoping someone would write, and I was probably going to write it myself if someone else didn't do it eventually, because <laughs> Bison is this really cool framework that we've talked about a ton of times on the show by now, but um, it doesn't have the kind of like really, really handholdy getting started kind of guy that Redwood has because Redwood is really has this whole tutorial driven development kind of thing going on. And Bison is more of this framework that was like a really powerful boilerplate almost. That's kind of how I think about it that you guys had put together, you guys and gals had put together so there wasn't really like as many docs and, and things like that, but it was still something that I thought was really interesting that more people should check out. So I was hoping that there would be more kind of content like that. So I'd be kind of curious, like how you, how you think about writing those kind of like getting started tutorials, what stuff you thought was lacking from the docs that you could contribute with that article. Yeah. Um, and uh, thanks for, uh, you know, you, you've been the, Definitely the proponent of that article. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. Um, uh, yeah, they, they, the, in, in Bison, the docs um, have actually evolved a little bit uh, since since that that article was published. So they've got a little bit more of a getting started guide. Could certainly use more growth in that area um, because it's like like you said, it's it, it's a very enhanced boilerplate with some opinionatedness in there that aims to give you like okay, this full stack Jamstack toolbox you know, kind of like what I'm, what I'm talking through the guts of in the book, you know, like how do you put all these pieces together to create a full stack Jamstack application? Um, but it, it does it for you, right? Um, but that's it, like you need like a good guideline into it to know like, okay, what is it doing for you? What do I need to know about that? And what are all like the, there are obviously like very cool parts to Bison that can save you a lot of time and energy. But if you don't know that they're there, then obviously <laughs> you're just gonna have to figure it out or, or be like, I guess you are where you're forward thinking enough to really embrace the concept very quickly without having to have the documentation there. And which is not everybody, you know, like we, we should have really good documentation. So it's definitely gotten better since then. Um, it could certainly use some more. You know, I, I definitely plan to contribute to Bison itself a little bit in the future that the book took my attention away um, just because I want to put this thing together and get some of the knowledge out there that it involves. It's not intended as like a, the book isn't intended as a bison how-to, but the concepts like translate well over. Because you're building a similar stack in terms of you're using Next.js and then are you doing GraphQL at all for the cut in the Jamstack book? Not in the book, no. Um, I, I thought about it and GraphQL is like a, 
it's definitely a piece of like the typical FS jam puzzle, but I didn't want to, I, I wanted to keep the book kind of MB, MVP where I don't want to overwhelm the user I, or the reader rather. I want to essentially show people like, okay, if I want to embrace the jam stack and ship a full stack SaaS application, what's the minimum knowledge set that I need? And I tried to keep it sort of condensed without trying to get all the bells and whistles in there. You know, initially I was thinking of putting like CI using GitHub actions and, and test-driven stuff in there, but I thought, okay, let me kind of focus on a little bit more centralized stuff. Uh, and I also want to make sure that I get the book done, you know, I don't want to give like insane amounts of work for me before I get to like point A. So, um, so those things I'll probably add on later as like bonus content. Um, but for now I'm keeping it simple. Here's what you need to go from zero to shipped in a SaaS application using the Jamstack. That's really great because you, you got to scope these things as someone who like also does yeah. a lot of content. What, what people don't realize is that you have to build the thing first. Like you can't even like really <laughs> yeah. start, yeah. start writing a word yeah. of content until the actual project is, is there else you're just yeah. kind of like spinning your wheels, you know, rewriting all, all sorts of stuff. So it's, it's such a crazy process. Let's um, actually talk about like what the tech is. So we already mentioned that it uses Next.js, why don't you give just kind of a high level overview of the full stack that you are working with here? So the core pieces of it are uh, Next.js and Prisma um, and React, obviously, which is included in Next.js. There's going to be Shopper UI for the visual stuff. React hook form is going to be in there for form manipulation. Um, we're going to be using the Cladinary API. So just to talk about the premise of the book really quick, I'm essentially going to be touching on a lot of different technologies by building a SaaS and shipping it and then showing people how I did it, uh, sort of step-by-step. Step. It's not going to go as deep into a single technology as you might be able to go more deeply on the web. Like if, if I was writing a purely Next.js book, I would be touching on every single detail that Next.js has to offer. I don't want to do that. What I, what I saw as a kind of a void in, in programming learning is you don't always show people like the different topics you need to touch on in order to ship an application and the way those pieces fit together. And I think there's a lot of room for that to, to be done out there. For example, like in the course of building the app for the book, the app for the book is going to be called uh, Jam Shots. It's essentially a simple photo sharing app that I saw a need for for myself. My, my wife and I, we have a 20 month old son. He's cute. So we're taking pictures of him all the time. And she takes pictures on her phone. I take pictures on my phone. And like, you know, we want to throw those together and put together a single gallery just for family members, like not necessarily on Facebook or, or Insta, um, but we want to be like, okay, this is Leo playing in the snow and he has a bunch of photos for it. And I didn't look that deeply, but it didn't seem like there was a very simple, concise way to do that. All the big dogs like, you know, like Google and, and everybody have like, you know, they, they have photo sharing software that is a little bit platform specific, or it does too much. There's just so much to do in there. And this is also a way for me to scratch my own itch, you know, as developers love to do. So it also seemed like a very good teaching platform because I was already thinking of putting a book together. So the app is called Jam Shots and all it's gonna enable people to do is, you know, upload easily from a mobile device, share that gallery and collaboratively edit it. So my wife and I can pop a bunch of photos into the app. I could share it with her, give her edit access really easily. And then we could just copy and paste the URL to family and they can say, see Leo playing in the snow. So that's kind of like where I saw room for teaching because when you think about it, there's a lot of pieces that it touches on 
that you won't get in Next.js documentation or a Next.js tutorial. You won't get it in a React tutorial. You won't get it in a Prisma tutorial. But in my book, you'll be able to see, okay, here's how we think of some basic database modeling, right? You know, a, a user has many galleries and galleries have many photos. Here's how the different parts of Next.js will interact to create and then retrieve that data. Because when you think about it, there's like the React UI that's going to do the fetching and rendering. But then there's the API endpoint in Next.js, which is going to do the fetching and rendering to the front end, but from Postgres through Prisma, but then also through the Cloudinary API. So there's going to be parts that a typical tutorial is just not going to tell you, like, how do I manage the, the data that I have in my database mashing up with data in the Cloudinary API? So there's like a little bit of relational thinking and a little bit of uh, JavaScript thinking to like do that in a clean way. So anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying that that's how the app idea came about, but also this particular type of information came about that I wanted to teach in the book. Yeah, that's great. And I like that you're including Cloudinary because, you know, we talk about the, the A and, you know, Jamstack or what used to be, you know, the Jamstack acronym was the, the APIs and yeah, that yeah. was a very big part of a Jamstack application, but it was always something that I felt like it's kind of like bespoke knowledge just because every every API is is gonna be different. It's actually mm -hmm. something that I'm kind of like working on now at, at my my company at, at Stepset is kind of like how do we normalize across you know all these all these APIs. So I'm working a lot with you know Cloudinary and, and that kind of stuff. I'm curious if there are like other APIs that you were considering or you were just like you just want like the one kind of photo one to kind of again keep it well scoped or if you were like I imagine you probably had lots of different ideas as you were building this out. So I'm kind of curious if there are like some other things that you're like, oh, this would be cool, but then you kind of like reined it in. <laughs> I'm sure there were. I have to think back. Um, as soon as I had, I, at first when I was thinking of like doing this, this book where I'm teaching people to build a SaaS, I, I was sort of struggling with what the topic would be. And, you know, and what all that came to my head was just, you know, almost cliche at this point, like programming tutorial ideas. There's like the to-do app, there's the notes app. And I'm like, this sucks. Like who wants to see another to-do list app? And then I had this personal need for a photo app. It came to me that that was like a, a lot more novel. And I bounced it off uh, a few other programmers. And then they were like, oh, that sounds a lot better. There weren't too many, I'm trying to think back there. There were probably other API ideas that I had, but they were all revolving around photo stuff. Uh, I was looking at like Imagix, and just plain old S3 for hosting the photos and, and using a CDN. Cloudinary, I, I liked because they had a, a free plan and um, they were fairly established. And another thing that really appeals to me is um, I'm big into like the, the indie hacker mentality and how there are many one person SaaS startups out there. I like having the ability to teach people how to ship a SaaS with minimal investment because a lot of engineers want to do that, right? I love doing it. I, I love the idea of being able to ship a SaaS as an individual or on a very small team and not having to just spend tons of money to ship an application that might make me some money. It might not because a lot of SaaSes don't. And that's where product learning comes in, which you know developers definitely have to pick up more in order to become profitable SaaS owners. But um, I like not having that hurdle of like, I have to pay tons of money for hosting costs. So um you know, especially when I don't know if the app is going to make money. So, so that actually was what led to me using Cloudinary in this. Like you can do a lot with the free plan on Cloudinary. The database hosting I'm going to be doing in the book is going to be based on Heroku, which on the hobby plan is free. 
that also really appeals to me. Like here's zero to like launching and ideally you don't have to spend a whole lot in order to like experiment a little bit. Yeah, I hope that answers your question. I, I didn't have too many APIs in mind, but there are so many you can work with. Um, I know like Lee Robbins from, for example, in, in one of his online courses, Lee Robinson over at Rissell, um, utilizes uh, Firebase and uh, I think the Twitter API in his, I think it's his React 2025 course, which actually was what motivated me to ship a full SaaS because I saw like he's doing this great work and he's shipping this course for free in which he's teaching people to ship a SaaS. And um, I, I felt I had to bring my game up a little bit. <laughs> Cool. Um, yeah. Shout out to Lee. I think Lee's work is, is really incredible. Um, awesome. I want to actually reach out to him to get him on the show at some point. Oh, you should totally. He's a, he'd be a great one to have on the show. I've used Cloudinary a lot, but I used it a lot in my Gatsby days before I came to Next.js and Redwood. And mm -hmm. something that I think is quickly worth uh, rotating over, well, not rotating, going over, is um, Next Image. Next image is only currently supported on certain providers, isn't it? Yes, and Cloudinary is one of them. Uh, I believe it supports Cloudinary, Imagix. I forget whom else, um, but it does support Cloudinary. The, the second reason is obviously when we talk about Jam, we speak about the Goliaths a lot next in Gatsby. If you had to pick which image component is better, Next's <laughs> image component or Gatsby's image component, which one would it be today? That's a great question. I'm, I honestly haven't done so much work with Gatsby that I'm as familiar with their image component to, to, to really fairly give a, an answer. I do know that I, I love Next's image component um, after working with it. You know, I've worked on so many like different front end technologies, like done work with jQuery and React proper and I've done lazy loading in a number of different ways. Just having it there in a React component by default is phenomenal. So uh, I, I, I'm very biased because I love it right now. But uh, if, if I do dig into the Gatsby image component, uh, I'll, I'll let you know and then I will give you a fair comparison. The reason why I ask is because Gatsby for so long had an image component and Next didn't. Mm -hmm. And it was like king, you know, it was king. If you're going to mm. do anything image-based, you probably want to use Gatsby. And then Next.js come out with theirs uh, in, was it 10 or was it 11? I think it was, it was in 10, yeah. It was 10, 10. Yeah. yeah. And then Gatsby, you know, papers get shuffled and now, whoa, ooh, Gatsby image is now 40% <laughs> better. So it's very much a really interesting question. And this is not me criticizing the stack of your product is that whenever it comes to image heavy websites, at the end of the day, images normally cost more than JavaScript sometimes. Yeah, so it's this thing absolutely. of how do you optimize them? How do you keep the website running fast? How do you keep it in line is really, really hard. I've built an e-commerce website with Gatsby and the image stuff was one of the hardest things because it was built for people who are not savvy with, you know, uploading everything in JPEGs or, you know, it's just whatever quality, yeah. making sure something is the same width and height, is not stretched or too small. 
is a really big challenge even today. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, there's entire businesses built on it. That's why you, you have like ImageX and Cloudinary, right? Because they're trying to, as a service, help you with some of those problems. Any helpers you can get with images, utilize them. Um, and that's, that's part of what I like with um, Next.js image component too, is that, you know, I've, I've worked a lot with WordPress in the past too. And what was cool about WordPress is they have utilities built in nowadays that will just render source sets for you. Uh, you upload an image into there. There's a there's a plugin for image optimization that does it. There's plugins for CDNs that distribute them. And then there's like a, a WordPress uh, renderer that just has the source sets and everything built into there. And then with your hosting, you can set it up so you're making sure that everything's you know delivered in a good way. One really great thing that the next image component has, and I'm guessing that the Gatsby image component does too, is the, is, is the, the source sets. Like you don't have to do the calculation and thinking for that. And uh, when you hook it with a good API, like Cloudinary ImageX, like the server side is going to deliver the, the optimal images too. And I, I believe they do compression on their end too. If not, they definitely should. <laughs> because like, you know, a user uploading an image into your app, whatever it is, shouldn't have to be thinking about file formats or whether they're uploading the right size. Like they should just be able to tap and go. The image world is still like, there's room for improvement, but there's a lot of tools out there to help you do images a lot more easily. Yeah, and I think images is one of these like deep subjects because you know you could quite easily just say, well, I'm just gonna put my images for the website in public and then just import them not necessarily use generated images just normal images but actually mm -hmm. you should put them on uh, a cdn and that because they offer so many benefits that yeah. just importing them don't have you know and yeah. how are you managing it now with with everfund you said that you use cloudinary are you using cloudinary for everfund or are you just kind of managing it with like a next image component we are using image kit i think it's image kit yeah image kit we don't actually use the image next.js component because i didn't think image kit had it in yet mm. but i still need to do some more work to upgrade that and optimize that in the future it all simply image kit is what i use i've used cloudinary in the past i couldn't really ever tell a difference at the end of the day they're literally like almost identical to the even to the uploading widget to the point you look at them and be like is this some open source project that everybody is just using it's a conspiracy they've all had a meeting of the minds and wrote the same code and just shifted and we're all probably using the same cdn which is owned by some company <laughs> that uses a three-letter <laughs> acronym to describe their service <laughs> sounds about right that's right that stuff is mind blowing too. Like I remember, you know, Heroku's been so great for so long. Um, but I remember the day I realized that Heroku was built on Amazon. I was like, what? <laughs> You're telling me it's just an EC2 all the way down? It's just EC2s on EC2s? It's like being in the matrix, man. It's not the real world. <laughs> yeah, we actually just sunset our Heroku tutorial support in, in Redwood. I shouldn't necessarily sunset because you can still do it, but um, Heroku has been the kind of canonical database if you follow the Redwood tutorial for as long as Redwood's been around, but we just mm. switched to Railway. If anyone is mm. looking for some 
hot new Postgres database companies and you're like, oh man, there's there's not enough of these yet because there's there's a lot of them now. And Railway is one of one of many that's basically given you a Postgres database with a super nice UI is kind of like what I see a lot of these, a lot of these doing. Like, you know, you've had Superbase on and they're they're another yeah. kind of big popular like Lee Lee Rob has also done a lot of work on he's done like super base examples with with next but you just went with postgres it sounds like and are like how exactly it does the database stuff work in the book do you have them spin up some sort of hosted db do you like develop locally like what's kind of the database story for the book well so uh good questions and some of that's still evolving um my original plan was well so i do have them it, it's eventually going to be both so for the development obviously they're going to be developing on a local machine and i'll make a couple of recommendations for like setting up postgres on a local machine um you know I, i'm based off of max so postgres.app is a great way to get started very quickly you download you run a few commands to create the database and get permissions and then you're into prism land immediately on deployment my plan was to uh to show them like a little bit about heroku but um you just gave me a great option because railway has a free plan so uh <laughs> I might uh, have to try that out and see if that's an option. Um, either way, I'm going to try and give them an option to like definitely use a free hosting provider. In Prisma, we're going to be using the schema and the migrations feature, uh, which uh, is going to be production ready soon. It's considered an experimental feature, so it should be right around the corner. Um, we know far more about migrate than we ever wanted to. Let me tell you. Oh, really? <laughs> tell me more. Yeah, just because like the because we like Redwood is living the migrate the the migrate transition because we've been using mm. migrate for this entire this all all year yeah. you know all last year and now they're getting out of experimental mode into dev like it changed a bunch of commands like every every meetup talk I've ever done about Redwood is now broken if you go back and watch those because the the database commands have changed so if like oh, no. you try and follow along with literally any Redwood video you're gonna you're gonna hit some issues with Prisma Migrate so fair warning to anyone out in the world listening to this right now last night I upgraded my Redwood project from 23 to 25 where migration got updated with a live mm. production database and I was sweating bullets all the way through it. I was like, please don't lose my data. Please don't lose my data. It's so easy to read a command that says, this may lose your data. And you're like, I don't know what you're doing behind the command. But by you putting that message, it really does scare you. It should. It should, honestly. They, you know, that's, that's one thing about Prisma that I think is going to really further the popularity of it as soon as that's ready. Because... You know, a, a good ORM, the core, the, the thing that you need the most is a good database structure managing tool. I'm really spoiled because I did a lot of Ruby on Rails back in the day. And Ruby on Rails is so mature now that their, their migration system is elegant and stable and beautiful in a lot of ways. And Prisma's potential is outstanding because they're making migrations declarative instead of imperative now. Um, rather than saying, run this series of steps, you're like, oh, you don't got to do all that. Just tell me what you want the database to look like. I got you. <laughs> I'm going to take care of it for you. The potential for it is phenomenal. And they're just working on, on getting out the kinks, which is, you know, when you're creating a database migration technology, it's, it's hard to do really, really well. But they're doing a great job at it. And um, as soon as that's, that's uh, a little more streamlined and a little more stable, it's going to be a killer.
it's going to be a really, really good feature. But um, I, I'm making note of it in the book that, you know, this is just on the verge of getting out of the experimental phase. And, you know, using Prisma for a SaaS app right now, you're just running a little bit of risk. Um, but we're starting small. And when you're starting small and you're aware of the risks for the long-term investment, which I think Prisma is, then, um, then it's absolutely okay. You're just being a little cautious with it. But yeah, as soon as they, they're they pulling that out of the experimental phase, man, uh, you at Redwood and, and me here working on this book, we're all really excited. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're totally bought in, bought into Prisma. And that's why, you know, we, we like to, to joke, joke about, you know, all the, the kind of pain they, they put us through, but, you know, we're, <laughs> we're entirely bought into Prisma. We think the work they're doing is, is, is amazing. And the, the API, I think the, the real big API changes, I think have been made and it should be stable from, from here on out. So I think you're, you're getting in at like a really, really good time to be writing, yeah. writing a book about it. Cause you, if you had written this book a month ago, then you would have, you would have been in trouble, but I think you're probably yeah. going to be, be in the clear from here. I have a thought about just in the back of my head, making, just consolidating all my database logic into like a class or a module so that if any of the API changes, I just swap it out. But then I thought like, how meta do I want to go? Because like you said before, like what I ran into is like, you have to write a good amount of the app before you start teaching it. Otherwise you're going to rewrite a lot of that book when you change your mind or clean up your code. I, I've thought about that and that's a really good way to program uh, if you get the time for it. <laughs> you know, we'll see how it goes. I, I've done it with a little bit of the API logic, but uh, I don't want to get too meta. Otherwise the book will never get written. <laughs> So what other projects are you working on, tech you're excited about, things you kind of see as like trends and in industries, kind of like want to open it up to anything that you think is, is cool and, and worth talking about? This is the main project that I'm working on for myself, uh, other than just writing a lot of content. One actually piece of technology that's in the book that I didn't mention earlier is um, NextAuth. NextAuth is a great library for managing like one-click signup and integration with any provider you can think of, they've got Google, they've got Facebook, they've got Slack, they've got Discord, they've got magic link sign in using your email, um, all that's handled for you. And I think you have a project... lunch and learn that you did that we'll link to as well in the show notes. Oh, great. Thank you. And um, I'm going to be putting out a, a series of blog posts um, on the Echobind blog. Uh, what's, we're, we're doing a little bit of redesign and redevelop on our, our website and our blog. So once that's, that should be coming sometime this month, I think. Oh, actually, no, it's almost the end of February. It's probably March. But um, I have a, a series of three posts on Next Off, just how easy it is to drop in one-click signup into a Next.js app with Next Off. It's That's a phenomenal technology that I, I'm really excited about, and I don't think enough people know about it. Like, they need some more. You ought to get them on the show, too, because that's a, that's a great one. Is it done by the next team or is it a third, uh, a separate team from next? Cause I've, I had heard it about it from actually a, a log rocket article. I read the log rocket blog, which yeah, is like the blog. best technical blog around. They're really good. So I get hit to a lot of these libraries, but yeah. Who, so who's the team behind next off? That's a great question. I think it's individuals. I have tweeted with them, but I don't think I ever looked up who they are. Yeah, feel free to make that connection. We'd be happy to happy to have them for sure. We've talked a lot about yeah. auth on the show and how we think of auth as being uh, pretty much a requirement for these these kind of frameworks. Yeah. We don't have some sort of good built-in auth solution like Redwood and Blitz. Both that was one of their first priorities back before. Like they as soon as essentially as soon as they both got it's like. 0.1 territory and they're like okay we have a thing that works at all the next step was all right off and then they figured that out by like 
it's like 0.7 for Redwood and then Blitz, I know it was just a couple months after the project actually started. So they, they both highly prioritize getting a built-in canonical auth solution into the libraries in, in a way that allowed them to plug and play different JWT kind of solutions. So if you look at Redwood's like docs for auth, it'll give you like seven different providers. It'll, like like you like you mentioned for, for next auth as well, because they've all kind of centralized on some sort of JWT token passing kind of kind of scheme. And then they all have kind of different metadata that they that they associate with that. But yeah, that's um it's really, really cool stuff. Have you looked at other auth solutions or was that kind of just like the obvious rose to the top kind of solution? Um I've done a little bit of manual auth and uh I, I didn't look really hard because I found next auth and I really wanted to mess with it. It just seemed to check all the boxes that I needed. Um, I've seen demos on um, Amazon's auth solution. Uh, wait, Cognito. Cognito, yes. Amplify like simplifies that that integration yeah. process. Heard very good things about it. Seen some demos on it. Looked great. In Bison, I think we have a hand rolled one, but I you know I'm going to make the recommendation to put next off or something similar in there, just because it's like a team focusing explicitly on that. Uh, I've also seen great things done with Auth0, but for Next.js itself, I, I imagine if I was going to integrate Auth0, I'd still have to do full stack work for that. That's the cool thing about NextAuth is it, it takes in consideration the framework, right? Like you've got in, in Next.js and, and, and the others, you've got a front end and a back end. So um, am I going to have to write an, a mechanism for those two to communicate or are you going to do it for me? And that's, and that's what next thought does. I, and imagine like Amplify and, and Cognito will do too. Yeah, I didn't look too, too hard uh, because like I looked at this one solution and I really liked it. So uh, as of right now, that's what I'm using. Certainly talk about tech for hours and hours, but uh, you guys are doing great on the podcast. Keep it up. Um, this is a, a great area of discussion that people are going to be talking about lots and lots more. So keep up the good work and thanks for having me. My last question would be, if you think of jam as an actual jam, what fruit would it have been? Raspberry. I'd have to say it's it's the most canonical in my mind. I, I oh, like different strawberry. types of jam, trust me. Yeah. Strawberry is pretty great well, too. But all jam is good jam. I don't think I don't dislike any jam. Yeah, I just had to have well, a jam off, obviously. You'd have to be a horrible person to dislike jam. I, 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 don't, I don't know if that could be necessary. I, I think you should rebuild it all to make a voting system to work out the best jam. The <laughs> official mascot of the jam stack. That sounds like a million dollar project. So I think I'm going to drop everything and just begin working on that. Thank you for that. No All right, where can people find you online? What's your, your Twitter handle or just best way for someone to get in contact with you? Uh, my Twitter handle is mcavalier, uh, spelled like my name, uh, C-A-V-A-L-I-E-R-E. -E. Um, you can find me there or you can find me at cuttingtothejamstack.com, um, email there, or you can just Google my name. Uh, MikeCavalier.com is my website too. Don't update as much on there, but uh, any of those ways is a good way to reach me. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate you, the, the whole Echo Bind team, getting to know Chris Ball. He's really been a huge supporter of us here at the FS Jam community. And um, anyone else from Echo Bind who wants to join, open invitation to the whole team. We think everything you're, you're all doing is, is super cool. So we'd love to get more people on to talk about some of the projects you guys are doing. Awesome. I'll spread the word. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. <laughs>
I'm launching a podcast.